Hey, what's up, everybody? This is John Odermatt, your host here on Felony Friday, and I want to try something new. Um, don't have an ad for you here or anything like that, but I have a request. So I want to try something with Apple Podcast reviews. Um, they're very important in podcasts, and they help you get more attention and eyeballs on your podcast. You get in the, uh, you know, you rank up in the categories, all that stuff. So I would like people to give five-star reviews. So I'm going to reward people who give us five-star reviews, review the podcast, say something nice, and then if after you do that, if you drop either a topic you'd like me to talk about, a question, and ask me anything, you know, you can ask me a random question, and I will address it on the show if it's if it's appropriate. But you can drop that after your five-star rating and your review, put what you want to talk about there on the show I will talk about it, and um, and it helps the show. It helps you influence the show. It's a uh, it's a win win. So please consider doing that. Make sure even if you listen on you know Spotify or Overcast or whatever, do it on Apple Podcast. They have the most control right now, so do it there, and uh, we'll see what happens. All right, thank you very much. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday, a weekly show right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. What is Felony Friday? Felony Friday is a show where every single week we're going to do a deep dive and we're going to examine and expose injustice in the broken criminal justice system. Now, if this is your first time listening to Felony Friday, your first time listening to any of the shows we have here on Lions of Liberty, sit back, relax, enjoy the show, put your feet up. If you're driving, please don't put your feet up. But if you've been back several times, if this is a regular habit of listening, why haven't you subscribed? Or maybe you have subscribed. Thank you if you subscribed. But if you haven't, please do so. Whatever podcasting app you're listening on, please just scroll up to the top there, punch that subscribe button, and uh, you'll get every single episode of the Lions of Liberty podcast and of Felony Friday delivered to your little listening device. And also, if you really enjoy what you're hearing here, please think about uh, giving us a a five-star rating and a review on uh, Apple Podcasts, especially if you listen there, because it helps with the algorithms and all that crazy stuff. Without further ado, let's get rolling with today's show. My guest today on Felony Friday is Mike Rufo. Mike is a small business owner. He's an entrepreneur. He is a libertarian activist. And in 2020, he was an elected uh, New Jersey delegate to the Libertarian Party National Convention. We'll talk a little bit about that. He's also the Southern New Jersey Regional Rep to the New Jersey Libertarian Party Board. And he's the LP Mises Caucus New Jersey State Organizer. And if that's not enough, keep him busy. He's also running for public office in 2018. And now in 2020, he uh, is running for the New Jersey Congressional District 4. And so we'll talk about that. His previous race, his current current race, what he's learned from it, uh, his life in politics. Mike, welcome to Felony Friday. What's going on, John? Thanks for having me, bro. Appreciate it, man. It's nice to see you. Yeah, man. Thanks uh, Thanks for coming on the show. And this, this is your first appearance on the show, sort of. Um, first interview, sort of. first one-on-one. But, I mean, the first time I met you was back, God, that was probably... Was that nine months ago? Ten months ago? Was, I don't remember. It was in September. We did that criminal justice reform yeah. forum. It was uh, me, you, Maj Ture, Larry Sharp, and Reverend Charles Boyer here in New, from New Jersey. And a uh, heck of a time. Tons of traction on it. It actually probably created four or five New Jersey members. That is awesome. So, and we got active people on the board that were there that night that or have watched it or listened to it since. And it's... It, I'm grateful for you coming out. I'm grateful for the time that we had, and it's, it's getting—it still gets tread to this day. So it's good to know. That's awesome. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for you for you put the whole thing together, um, bootstrapped the whole thing, and you know to bring in uh, star power like uh, Larry Sharp and uh, Amash Torre. It's an awesome event, and that was the first time I got to hear you, you know, publicly speak because you kicked the event off and you, um, you know, got everything rolling. And I mean, you are a, a good public speaker. I can see why you're. You're drawn to politics. 
but that was the first time I saw the, the candidate side of you. I, I, I appreciate that. That's it's nice to know that when I think I'm doing is actually getting done. So, you know, you stand up there and you don't know if you're really doing it the right way until everybody tells you afterwards, man, that was great. Thanks for talking. You know? right, so right. I appreciate hearing that. And, you know, it's nice to know that it, it's um, quasi successful in what I attempt to do. There you go. So let's, let's kind of, uh, start back. You know, when I have my guests on normally, um, a lot of times they've been to prison. You haven't been to prison, I don't think. No, no sir. Sorry. <laughs> but I start with like the origin story because I want people to know my guests. I want my audience to know where my guests came from, sort of what you're about. And when I'm talking to people who've been to prison, it's, you know, to set up, you know, you know what really got them in that situation. But with you um, now as an activist and uh, a candidate for public office, um, I want to know what brought you to the ideas of liberty. So when... When did you start thinking about libertarian principles? Uh, what attracted you to uh, this message? I have probably always been attracted to liberty principles. So as a kid, I really dove. I, I, I loved my history classes. So I loved learning about the presidents. And I loved learning about the Constitution and why America was different than every other nation that had ever been born and every other nation that's been born since. Um, you know, and it was, it, it's always been alluring to me to learn that history, you know, and then my, uh, apparently I learned later, my grandfather had run for town council when he was younger. My mother had helped organize and, and turn the, uh, in, in the town that we, I grew up in Keensburg used to have partisan uh, elections for the board of ed. She was paramount and one of the volunteers and the activists getting it overturned into a nonpartisan race for board of education in that town. Um, one of the people that actually is part of the borough in Kingsburg now is somebody that was one of my mom's best friends. So I guess I kind of was always involved in that aspect of it, not knowingly because I was such a young little kid. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I got older, you know, I was a bit of a neocon. 9-11 happened. I was in high school. So, you know, everyone, you know, we, everyone bought into the George Bush message and let's do George Bush, George Bush, George Bush. And then in about, oh, six I had a bit of an epiphany. I was selling cars, working on my own. It's the first time I'd ever made paychecks big enough to actually see how much taxes were taken out. Uh, there was a, a finance manager at the dealership who was listening to me talk. He goes, do yourself a favor. I said, what's that? He goes, Google Ron Paul. I said, all right, I'm going to Google Ron Paul. So Facebook was like uh, everybody could finally get on Facebook in like 0506, right? Because right? right, it started right. off, you had to have a .edu. Well, I wasn't in college anymore because I had dropped out to sell cars. And it was, uh, I, I finally had started Facebook and I forgot that I did this and I didn't even know I had a political uh, alignment on Facebook a couple of years ago when I checked and I put libertarian way back in 2006 and seven, not really realizing it. Cause after the conversations I had had with this guy, I had customers, I had one customer, this old guy come in and tell me, Hey, do you know what the uniform commercial code is? And he starts explaining the uniform, uniform commercial code to me. And he starts going to all these things about the federal reserve and how it's not a good. And I'm like, Oh, okay. I'm this 22 year old guy. I'm listening to all this yeah. stuff. So all the seeds were planted. Um, Ron Paul makes his runs. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm Republican. I'm, I'm voting for Ron Paul. I, I go to the primaries. I vote for Ron Paul in the primary in 08. I vote for Ron Paul in the primary in 2012. Uh, 2016 rolls around, and we the only person talking about the national debt is John Case, and he's about to endorse Joe Biden right now. So we know how great that was. Yeah. <laughs> right? So John Kasich's getting his butt kicked, and Trump's turning, you know, saying all the grab her by the you know what. And, and I'm like, I can't deal with the Republicans anymore. You know what? Ron Paul was a libertarian. Where's this libertarian party? What's going on with them? So it just so happened to be that the, the grabber by the happened in the May and shortly thereafter was the Libertarian Party National Convention. So that weekend I actually watched the Libertarian Party National Convention on C-SPAN streaming. Really? That was like on my cell phone. That whole, I watched the whole thing all week. That was your first exposure. To that was my first exposure to the LP. <laughs> Kevin, uh, what James Weeks, right? James Weeks tripping. I was like, what are these guys doing? So I said, all right, I'm going to look past that. I'm going to look past it, right? This Gary Johnson guy's okay. He did well in 2012. He's a little soft on certain issues, but whatever. Really didn't know who Bill Weld was. Six months later, I realized he was the worst VP pick you could have possibly ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, he was really more of a, 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 a Massachusetts Republican, which was really a Democrat. Um, so I, I turned around and I, I, I decide that weekend, I sign up as a, a dues-paying member of National LP. I read that you had to 
pay to also be part of the state membership. So I paid for your state membership. And this is what got me. None of the other stuff got me. It wasn't, you know, James Weeks stripping and dancing. It wasn't, it wasn't the, 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 the way Sarwak, who did, listen, I, I'll give Sarwak credit. 2016, when I watched the convention, I did say, this guy's got everything in order. Because when Arvin got up on stage, things got out of control. And then Nick would get back on stage and he would get things in order. So Yeah, Nick, was, yeah. I mean, Nick always, in, in 2016. It was, before, it was before he became a heel. Yeah, he was very, he was very <laughs> different in 2016. Yeah, he's, different, he's a different man than he was yeah. in 2016. Whatever. It is what it is. He's yeah. their own. So no hard feelings. So he, um, it, it was the chair of the New Jersey State Party. So he, he emailed me after I submitted my membership. It must have been 12.30, 1 o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. I'm still up, right? I'm high. I'm like, all right, I signed up for this party. Let me see what's going to go on. How do, where's the next meeting? Like I'm, I'm diving into it, right? All of a sudden, I get an email from the chair. I email him back. We ended up exchanging emails for like an hour, hour and a half. Patrick McKnight, he was an alternate for LNC8. Uh, at the time, he was the chair of our party, and Patrick McKnight is the reason that I got involved the way that I got involved. Because his, his the fact that this guy was able to reach out to me, A, around like 1 o'clock in the morning, and B, continued to have a conversation with me until about 2 o'clock in the morning via email, I was like, you know what? These guys care. Mm-hmm. And you know what I didn't see when I was watching the Republicans and the Democrats in 2016? Anybody that cared. Mm-hmm. So I said, I don't care about the vote totals. I care that there's people that care who are actually passionate about what they stand for and they have principles. And I learned that, you know, my first meeting I went to, there was three people. Well, I can tell you that the beginning of this month, the same South Jersey meeting that I went to four years ago, we've built to be 30 people. That is awesome. So, you know, in the last four years, we've done a lot of work, but if it wasn't for Pat McKnight, I wouldn't be as involved as I am now. Um, that's my quick as abridged version of possible of how I got involved. Um, I then got involved with the Gary Johnson campaign signatures. I, I got signatures for Jeremy Marcus to be on the ballot in, uh, in, in the in district four in 2016, I gathered like a hundred signatures all by myself, which was all you needed. Plus they had their other signatures. Um, I had, I worked on the Pete Warman campaign in 2017. I helped him organize a couple of events, um, helped him out with a little bit of fundraising in 2018, I decided, you know what? I'm going to try it myself. I'm going to throw my hat in a ring. That's, that's, that's two years in the party. I mean, yeah, it was two years of activism, but my, the, the amount of work that I had put in, apparently a few people had found, you know, had respected me for what I was doing. And it's about putting forth that action, taking human action, actually doing what you say you want to do, you right. know, and I got involved and I, and I got involved heavy. And, uh, you know, I, I threw my hat in the ring. I got everybody's support. They all backed me on it. They wanted to see me do it. Um, and we went, we went for it and we did it. And I got my signatures. I got on the ballot. Uh, it was a learning experience. Let me tell you, like I, I learned a lot about myself, mm-hmm. who I am, um, what I'm capable of and the situations that I know I can and can't handle. Moving well, what's the, like, what jumps out to you when you think back on that, the, you know, number one thing you learned like in the, in, burned in your mind right now. Be yourself. Be true to who you are. Don't 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 be fake. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't believe something, say you don't believe it. You know, if there's a party platform that you're not happy with, say I don't. I'm not, listen, I'm not I'm not happy with the party's platform. This is what the party believes in. But in, in situations, I may do this. You know, don't, just people recognize genuine. They people mm-hmm. recognize when you're being genuine. They recognize when you're being authentic. They understand you when you show that you actually care and understand them. Now, you may care and understand them from a different angle, mm-hmm. but if you can still present that care, they'll listen to you. My favorite moment in 2018 when I ran for office was we, uh, was with Murray Sabrin. I worked, I worked hand-in-hand with Murray Sabrin in 2018. He ran for Senate. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Murray Sabrin had a phenomenally successful uh, governor's race, a uh, governor's campaign in the late 90s, and actually had two of his – he had some of his – positions from his campaign instilled this policy under the next governor. So you can't get more successful than that in a losing campaign because that's a winning campaign. They raised the speed limits. They got, they deregulated the insurance industry in New Jersey and made Mm -hmm. car insurance more affordable. And that's because Murray rode so hard on it. And those were the things that got him the popularity and the donations. He was, he was in the debates. He, he was, he was in it. Like he was as, as involved as you can possibly be as a third party. And it was phenomenal. He ran again for Senate in 2018. Me and him were hand in hand. We were in Allentown the Allentown Festival, and a Democrat that was running in 2018, his name was Josh Welly, a military guy, nice guy, really nice guy. I had a bunch of conversations with him. Another thing I learned, 
everyone's just people. It don't matter, Democrat, Republican, it doesn't matter. It's just another dude who puts his pants on or a woman puts her pants on the same way you or I do. Mm-hmm. And they just, you know, some, some of them just want what's best for their neighbors. And that really is the case. So I walked right into the Democrat tent. It was easy to walk into the Republican tents because you could talk about Ron Paul. You could talk about the debt. You could talk about Second Amendment. I walked right into the Democrat tent with my sign, my daughter by my side, and I start talking. And they start talking about guns. I was like, all right, all right, let's talk about guns. And we had a conversation about guns. And it was probably me and about 12 hardcore Democrat activists at a tent at a, at a, at a local festival. And we're just talking. And we had a real conversation. They weren't screaming at me. I wasn't screaming at them. Nobody was calling each other names. There was a couple things we agreed to disagree on. They were surprised to find out that I agree with them on some of the civil liberty stuff Mm -hmm. and that we were on the same team there. They had no idea that would be the case. Uh, When it came to guns, you know, I talked to them about tort reform and how, you know, if we, how that's a possible angle that could be taken rather than having all of these gun laws where you kind of. And New Jersey has some serious gun laws. I mean. Oh, New Jersey's got insane gun laws. Jersey and California are probably two of the uh, most strict. It's like the biggest uphill battle in New Jersey. I don't even want to get into it because I could do an entire episode just on the gun laws in New Jersey, John. And and I don't want to do that to you. But but that's the kind of people that live in New Jersey. And New Jersey's a heavy Democrat state. So that's what they're talking about. Well, let let, let me ask you this. I mean, it's not off topic, but we're talking about guns. So let's stay on this for a minute. So with what's happened with COVID right now and uh with the uh the protests turn some turning to riots that have happened something like 40 percent nationwide i'm sure it's different state to state but like 40 percent of gun purchases in the past i don't know two months three months are new gun owners do you think yes. the gun debate is really over i mean oh, did <laughs> i think it's going to get reignited because i think a lot of people who were on the fence about guns decided that no now i understand why i need one exactly um I, I had a, a, a hand, more than a handful of people reach out to me over the last six months. All right, Mike, how do I do it? What do I do? Mm-hmm. Where do I get it? What do you recommend? What should, what's the process? What kind of safe should I buy? Uh, do, do, should I get clad? And I, I, had, I walked them through all of it. And you know what? I, I, I'm glad that they reached out to me because these were people that I know were not interested in owning guns beforehand. And I had conversations with other people like, all right, listen, I don't know if the wife's going to let me or... You know, we're not, we're, we're talking about it, but I don't know if we should do it. Mm -hmm. Tell me why I should like more people were open to the conversation of why it's important to at least have a handgun in the house to protect yourself and protect your property and your family. Because now they're realizing that the cops aren't always going to be there. The police aren't always going to be there. Like there, there's no guarantee that somebody else in a building across town is going to come and save you. Like you, you, you might yeah, very, need, very low probability that they, that they like will. You, you may need to save yourself. And a lot of people have come to that realization. Um, I do know that there's been an uptick in violence in a lot of places. And I know mm-hmm. governor Murphy is trying to blame that on the fact that there's new gun purchases jumped up, of but course. we all know that's hogwash. Yeah. There's no way that mom, pa Jones, who were scared because of the riots decided to go out and start capping people. That's just not what they do. You know what I mean? Those were most likely illegal guns that people were committing those crimes with. But again, that's, he's a Democrat and he's King tyrant Democrat out of all of him. Cuomo are the worst. And they're going to play that to their angle. But I think the people are smarter this time. And I think the people in the middle are smarter about it this time and realize, no, I bought a gun. I'm not killing anybody. It's not my fault. And that's, and that's what I meant. Is the gun debate over being so that so many more people who previously were probably on the anti-gun side or very strict gun control are now finding themselves, oh, I just bought a gun for self-defense. So it, there might still be a debate, but I feel like we've kind of uh, moved. Yeah, I feel like I, we've I see, gained some ground. We've gained some ground. I see what you're saying. No, and that's, and that's kind of what I was coming at. Like, yeah. I, see, I, don't, I was thinking it the other way around, so I, I didn't misunderstand what you were saying. But no, I, I think you're right that it's, 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 there's going to be a lot less resistance moving mm-hmm. forward on the gun laws. Um, I think you're still going to see a lot of people pushing for background checks. Yeah. Not so much in New Jersey, because I think a lot of people realize how hard it is in New Jersey to actually get a handgun. <laughs> now that they've tried to, yeah. Now that they've tried to, they realize, like, oh wow! Believe it or not, they actually made it a little bit easier. You can do everything online now. You used to have to go physically to your local police station. Mm-hmm. You can actually go straight through the state police now on the website, so it's a little easier. But now it's more centralized, so I don't know if I like that. <laughs> so it's uh, it's interesting to say the least. It's interesting to say the least. But 
bringing it full circle back to the conversation with the Democrats in their tent, like we were able to have common ground on gun, the gun control conversation. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I explained to them from an angle of we remove the government and put the private companies in place to be, to be responsible. And maybe they're the ones that do the background checks. You're outside of the Second Amendment. You know, you're outside of the government being involved. And if a private business decides they want to check you know, on you to make sure you should be buying the gun from them. I have no problem with that. I just don't want a centralized, one centralized organization controlling all of that, being able to say, mm, now nah, we're just going to change all the rules, take them all away. Um, so that, and they, they were, they were open to that conversation. And which was my point. Like I've learned on the campaign trail, which was your original question, mm-hmm. not to be afraid to engage in the conversation because there's always a common ground. And that's what we need to try and find when we're in the politics game. Yeah. And I mean, with how divisive things are now, I mean, the last thing that people would expect is for a libertarian to walk into a, you know, a Democrat candidate's tent and just talk. So you're kind of breaking down barriers, breaking down stereotypes, whatever that, you know, remind people, yeah, we are people. We can have a conversation. We, we can and we can That's disagree it. and move on to something else that we agree on. We can talk about criminal justice reform. We're probably all three all three sides or the, the middle, libertarians, the left, the right, probably all agree on, on reform on, on many areas. Absolutely. And there's so many of those areas where all where all three sides, as you said, mm-hmm. uh, that, that we can find agreement and we can find those tripartisan issues. And it's 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 just a matter of getting out there and doing it. And I think more people need to just 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 do it. Mm-hmm. So you're you're running for office again for the same uh, same district. Obviously, you haven't moved in uh, in 2020. Have, yep. How did you how did you do in 2018? All right, so I got like 06 percent of the vote, which is unfortunate because there was eight people that ran in that district in 2018. We had wow. eight eight people on the ballot That's for ridiculous. our district. Yeah, I think we have five this go around. Um, but there was eight people. It was a midterm election, so you didn't have quite the – there was no libertarian at the top of the ticket to kind of force people in line. Um, we did have the Senate race. <clears throat> but it was a, I was the number one independent. I came in third out of everybody. I got the most votes out of them. And there was some independents that, you know, they had some really good arguments. They had some really professional campaigns. They were experienced. Uh, uh, politicians. They were experienced in Washington. Some of the one gentleman had a job in Washington, D.C., knew certain people, had some very technical answers to a lot of the questions people were having. The one woman, again, served with, you know, in New Jersey government, uh, served. So they they had connections. And for me to say that, hey, like, these are people that were in, in, in the game before they decided to run for office. And you know, was it because the L was next to my name? I just got more votes because there's registered, we're the third largest registered party, even in New Jersey, maybe. Or was it just because I, you know, I, I hit a right, enough messages or I had a strong enough social media presence or I knocked enough doors, I dropped off enough door, ha- door hangers, you know, I, I don't know what it was. Um, this year though, I'm up in the game. I only spent $4,500 last time. Um, you have to, you don't have to report to the FEC unless you report unless you raise or spend $5,000. Okay. So I didn't want to get involved with all that. So I decided I'm just going to spend my own money. I self-funded my campaign. I, uh, I did everything myself. <clears throat> this time around, we're doing things a little different. We're raising money. Uh, so, you know, if you're listening and you like what you're hearing, go to www.runrufo2020.com backslash donate. Okay. Uh, please help us out. We are so say that, say that, say that URL again, slowly. www dot run r-u-n rufo r-u f as in frank o 2020 the numbers 2020 dot com all right backslash donate and that'll get you right to the donate page check out the page uh it's it's a nice little page i put it together myself um back when i designed everything myself back in 2018 we modified it a bit for 2020 and uh You know, I, I need help there, you know, because what we want to do is I actually want to pay for door knockers this time around. I'm looking to raise upwards of $40,000. Uh, we just got on the ballot last week. So we're just now going to start really hitting the fundraising hard and really trying to raise the funds necessary. With $40,000, I believe I can get 5 to 10% of the vote. And 5 to 10% of the vote will put us on the map. It'll be the most, it'll, it'll be the most successful third party uh, camp, camp, congressional campaign in the history of uh, recent history in New Jersey politics. Uh, no one's ever really got more than three percent, three and a half, four percent. Five percent is the high watermark. 
I'm looking to blow that out of the water. I really think with how soft the Republican in my district is, even though he's 40 years in, I, I, he's so, he's a Democrat <laughs> and I don't care that he's got an R next to his name. And I know that the people in our district, they don't favor big government. You know, they, they hear about all these bailouts and they hear about all this money going to all these mega corporations. And, and, I, and I know that if I can get my message out there, they're going to vote for me. And with the money I can, I can pay for door knocking. I can pay for phone banking. Like I want to be able to pay a group of people that I know I can pay who will take the money and help me get the message out. If I can door knock a hundred thousand doors, I can get 40,000 votes and 40,000 votes will get me 15% of the vote. So I'm looking to really make an impact. And if I can touch a hundred thousand people, I'm in. It's going to be hard. We got COVID, but it, it's a reality. And I, I've got the energy for it. I'm not worried about it. Like, yeah. you know, it's, it's, it's time to make a difference. Hey, everybody, taking a quick break here from the show. Wanted to remind you all to check out uh, my man Tyler Colford, a.k.a. Crypto Man, and his new song, Free Ross. If you didn't hear my recent interview with Lynn Ulbricht, that was episode Felony Friday, episode 230. Interviewed Lynn Ulbricht, played Tyler's song, uh, Free Ross. It's fantastic, phenomenal. Not just for uh, the message of freeing Ross Ulbricht, but overall for changing the broken criminal justice system. All the proceeds from uh, the Free Ross song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man. You can find it on Spotify and Amazon, Amazon Music. 100% of the proceeds from the song, hashtag Free Ross by Crypto Man, go towards freeing Ross Ulbricht. So please check it out. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes And they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide New slave labor, they barely pay you Don't care about work ethic or major I mean, people are going to be going to the polls, presidential election But they're going to be going in with some people with a little bit of an open mind, maybe I know there's still lesser of two, e- two evils, that whole thing But I feel like even more so than 2016 people are just so fed up with both parties that I think people are um, looking more so for, for that third option. So that's a good thing. We talked about guns a little while ago, um, your stance on that. I'm curious, and I'm curious really with how libertarians as a whole, as a whole are going to treat this, but specifically for your campaign in your congressional district with regards to police. Of course, there's the defund the police movement, abolish the police movement. On the other side, you have people that are terrified that the police are going to be taken away. And, you know, if they have something where they need to call the police, that no one will show up. So first of all, how do you package and message the police as a libertarian candidate? Um, What is your, you know, ideal scenario there? How you would like police to be uh, used and, uh, funded uh, going forward in a, in a more free society? And how do you communicate that to the electorate? So in the perfectly free society, we would have a privatized police force and each community would pay, you know, forever or however, or if you needed the cops to come to your house, it would cost 10 bucks for the first half an hour and $5 for every hour after that. I mean, there's, there's countless different ways that if you can go to the Mises, you know, Mises, uh, the Mises Institute, go to their website, mm-hmm. There's plenty of articles and, and there's plenty of, of, of ways laid out. There's actually, and I think you might have had this gentleman on your podcast, I think, in Detroit. There's a there's a, a, a like a private police force, so I, to I speak. I have not. I know who you're talking about. Do you know um, who I'm talking about yeah. though? I don't know who's I may, it may I don't know whose podcast it was on, but they have a, a bit of a private police force for certain communities, and that's kind of how they do it. And they help the people who can't afford to pay them too. Like there is like, there's like a way they can figure out to, to pay for the people who can't afford it. And it's uh you know, they don't want to be like the sole police force, but in an ideal world, some kind of scenario like that would be perfect. Now let's put ourselves in the real world. You got to end qualified immunity. You've got, we've got to stop treating our police departments like jobs programs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Not everybody can qualify to be a cop. It needs to be hard to be a cop. You need to be tested and you need to be tested regularly. You know, Jocko Willicks, I don't know if you, if you're familiar with him, but you know, he's, 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 am, been, yeah. he's been hurt. You can hear him on podcasts say it. Like, why is it that you only need, I don't know, 700 hours or whatever it is to be a cop when, you know, in the military, like you're getting trained all the time. 
Like you're always getting trained. You're always going through training. They're always like, you have to do X amount of hours and X amount of months. Why aren't they doing like a hundred hours every quarter of training that they have to go through for de-escalation and, and, and for, and for proper usage of, of their weaponry. Why are the rules of engagement not as strict for a police officer in the United States on our soil as it is for, That's as it is point. for the military men? Mm-hmm. Like, cause you hear guys in the military say all the time, dude, if I pulled my trigger in that situation, could you, do you know what kind of, like, there's a lot of that, you know, a lot and, of people have, don't do not know that, that it is no. very different, very more, stringent and strict rules rules of engagement you basically um if you're in a you know in iraq patrolling the streets you basically cannot pull your weapon unless you're being shot at right exactly exactly and you can't even pull the weapon get no finger on trigger no it's wild Mm -hmm. you know listen i don't know all the details i could be wrong and i'm sure somebody's going to jump in the comments somewhere and tell me how wrong i am and i understand that but if there's blanket agreement that the rules of engagement overseas are more strict than they are for the police officers here at home um, and then a lot of it goes into the criminal justice reform by reforming the criminal justice system and ending the drug war and, and, and getting rid of all of the, the order maintenance laws that are unnecessary and getting, and, you know, and, and, and figuring out a different way to, to ticket somebody for moving violations in their car rather than pulling them over and having to put the officer in that situation. You know, there's, there's so, there's countless things we can do to restrict the amount of situations that we actually put those police officers in and we put the citizenry in for those type of engagements that, you know, we've got to rethink this whole thing. We've got to stop looking at police as policing for profit because right now, you can't tell me that the current system isn't police for profit. It is. They're constantly policing for profit. Everything they do is tied to a fine. Every And if you don't pay the fine, you yeah. go to jail. Like We're just putting everybody in a position where you know that the odds are, if you're engaging with a police officer, if you didn't initiate that engagement, you're getting hit with some kind of fine or penalty, whether it's just or not. And if we can get rid of all of the unjust laws and we can get rid of qualified immunity for accountability reasons and we can weaken the police union, I'm going to say it, they need to be weakened because oh, the, local, be, yeah. the local police department is not a jobs program. It's not. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's supposed to be there to protect the people and to protect private property and to make sure it's serve and protect, right? Now, the Supreme Court says it's not to serve and protect. It's to say it's to enforce law, which is even more of a reason why we need to hold them accountable because if the Supreme court says their only job is to enforce law, well, guess what? We need to reduce the amount of laws because now we want to put them in a position where all they're doing is serve and protecting. Could you imagine a world, John, where the cops were only worried about violent crimes? That's there's it. no more, just, there's just, no more just, violent just worry about violent crimes, protect people. That's somebody how it should raped. be. That's somebody gets raped, be. investigate it. If there's somebody breaks into my house, investigate it. If somebody, if some, could you imagine how many crimes would get solved if they weren't worried about filling out paperwork because some 16-year-old was smoking weed? Yeah. Well, I mean, that that's part of the – I mean, I guess you're saying police for profit. Also, the going out and enforcing and arresting that 16-year-old for smoking weed, that's part of the, the profit in a different way because that's how they get their funding. If they get so many, so many different arrests. Um, right. And then you got and then civil asset forfeiture on top of that. There's you remove get rid of civil asset forfeiture. You, you remove the incentive for just pulling over somebody because they look the part. Mm-hmm. You know my, fun, my my favorite thing when when a cop I've had cops tell me a hundred times because you know I was a bit of a, a snot nosed punk growing up right and that's okay and I was into the punk scene and I was a little bit of a that was it I was just a punk I was most snapped, most right? most teenagers are punks yeah I was I was I was a teenage punk you know full of teenage angst right and the cop would pull me over and I'd be all pissed and be like what's your problem I go you pull me over dude well you you were doing this I get it all right well why 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 are you acting like that well I'm I'm I'm, I'm kind of nervous well, why are you nervous because you pulled me over well, why you know you know what I mean well you fit or you fit the description I know so do you like it, it works both ways man we're both human. You know, like, like, and I don't, I've never understood that. Well, you know, he looked suspicious. Okay. You walk up to your car with your gun, your hand on your gun. It looked suspicious. I got tense. What do you mm-hmm. want? Of course, like it, it works both ways. Like how am I supposed to be the one that's remaining calm and perfect and, and, and not saying anything wrong and not slipping up with my tongue and not getting, and not getting defensive but it's okay if he does or she does, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, like that standard, it's just not right. And it, it's, they're on a pedestal. And, and, and it, that's a bit of the problem. No human being should ever be put on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. It's your wife, put her on a pedestal. 
Oh, ex- exactly. <laughs> Treat her like a queen. <laughs> happy wife, happy life. That's it. So outside of, uh, I guess, outside of criminal justice reform, your platform um, for for your congressional seat, what is your, you know, what's your calling card? When you're talking to people, what, what do you bring up? Legalize freedom and decentralize everything. Legalize freedom goes right into the criminal justice reform part of it and decentralize everything. So I've always asked, why Congress? Why not start local? Well, in my mind, Congress is the most local version of the federal government you could possibly have. You have your little district in your state, Mm -hmm. and your job is to take the feelings, the emotions, and the ideas of your people and tell the federal government what they are. And then your job is to protect those people from the heinous and tyrannical ideas of people 3,000 miles away. But Rufo, you live in Jersey. D.C. is only 500 miles from you. No, 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 no. Nancy Pelosi is 3,000 miles from me. Tulsi Gabbard is 7,000 miles or 5,000 miles from me, okay? The people in Alaska are 4,000 miles away from me. Mitch McConnell is 1,500 miles away from me. Why do they have a say in what happens in Jackson, New Jersey? Why? They don't understand the socioeconomic situation that I live in. Mm -hmm. They don't understand what's best for the Jersey Shore. I get it. They're scientists. Guess what? Those scientists can work with the people of New Jersey, and the people of New Jersey can figure out what we need to do to keep our shores clean. The people of New Jersey can figure out what programs work best for our people given our socioeconomic situation. We have a very diverse state. We have one of the most diverse states in the nation. Okay, We're not anything like any other state. We have Philadelphia and New York sandwiching us. We are the highway of commerce in the Northeast. Everything comes through New Jersey. We were the crossroads of We're the crossroads of life in America. Everything crosses through New Jersey, whether it's oil refineries, whether it's plants, where Campbell's soup is made here. We are the hub, right? You got the financial district, then you've got Pennsylvania with all the iron workers and everything going on in PA. You got to get the money from there through New Jersey, all the trucks. This is where it happens. We understand it better than anybody. You also got to get the natural gas through New Jersey, but right. That's difficult everything, to do sometimes. Everything <laughs> comes from New Jersey. But guess what? Mitch McConnell doesn't know what New Jersey needs for defense. They don't, she, he doesn't know how to best protect our shores. Nancy Pelosi doesn't know what we need best to take care of the people in Newark and Camden. Nancy Pelosi, uh, AOC, I don't care that she's out in New York. She doesn't understand what it's like in New Jersey because it's not the same as New York. We're not as densely populated. We don't have as many people living on top of us. And the programs that work for her aren't going to be the programs that work for the people in the state. And what we need in New Jersey is somebody to stand up and say, listen, enough's enough. What you need there isn't as good as it is what we need here. And we're sick and tired of being a donor state. And for every dollar that we give you, only getting 60 cents back from the federal government. That ain't right either. And nobody in this con- nobody in this state is willing to stand up for the people. Mm-hmm. Everybody in this state is so worried of all every congressperson, all of them, even the republic, the lone Republican in my district out of all twelve, he's the lone Republican. Even him, oh, let's take care of the whole country. No, let's take care of New Jersey. You know, let's put New Jersey first. Let's listen. We need to keep more of our money here. Look at what happened with COVID. It was so di- it's so different here with COVID than it is everywhere else. Why is Nancy Pelosi telling me how to handle what's going on in New Jersey? Yeah, that's a great point. With COVID, just the way that you know this this is a hot spot. That's a hot spot. It's you know the death rate here is way higher than the death rate down here. Um, that's a great example of just how different each part of the United States is. And you look at these comparisons, like comparing the United States to Sweden or to Finland or to Italy or to wherever. You're talking about countries that we have states that are twice the size as them. Right. So it's, I mean, you can't compare it. So the United, you can't look at the United States and compare it to other countries in Europe when it comes to COVID it's because it's, it's a totally different situation. It's all different. How we spend money, what we do, how, how everything gets handled, it's all different. We're not like a regular nation. We are the most unique nation in the history of human civilization. We are 50 sovereign states come together as one for self-defense and commerce. That's it. But when we lose our sovereignty because we allow other states to dictate how we're going to live and we allow other states to siphon off of us, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and honestly, the first step to fixing all of that is to repeal the 16th Amendment and abolish the income tax. You have a $4 trillion budget every year, only $1.7 trillion to $1.9 trillion of it comes from the federal income tax line on your check. I'm not talking about FICA. I'm not talking about Medicare. I'm not, I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about Medicare. I'm not talking about Social Security. I'm not talking about any of the payroll taxes. I'm talking about just the federal income tax. Just that one line, $1.7 trillion. Do you know how much, how much was that stimulus bill they passed? Two, two trillion, right? At least, yeah, it was at least. That. And only, and and only what, like eight hundred billion of it went to the actual citizens, and everything else went to mega corporations most, and, yeah. and pet projects, right? Mm-hmm. Could you imagine if we gave one point seven trillion dollars back to people? Could you imagine how the guy who makes fifteen dollars an hour, rather than having to give back? you know, four grand gets to keep that four grand over the course of the year. Just, yeah, and just refund, just refund everyone's act. income tax for the last year. That'd be a good That's stimulus. It. Give me a refund on my income tax last year. It's only going to cost you $1.7 trillion and I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. And now you can stimulate the economy. It'll float me for a couple of months. Hell, maybe I'll start my own business, mm-hmm. you know, but we don't, but they don't look at it that way. They want to, they want to help rather than building the nation. This doesn't sound very libertarian, but it actually is. Rather than build the nation from the bottom up and letting the people keep their money, mm-hmm. you know, we, we just give all the mega corporations all the money. And it just doesn't make sense. And, you know, I, I should we spend any money? No. But if we're going to do anything, refund the income tax. Because as far as I'm concerned, it's immoral, it's not right, and it's straight out theft. So I, I think you just reminded me of a good point here. Talking about building from the bottom up, which – People outside Libertarian Party don't think of libertarians that way. I don't even think libertarians think of libertarians that way, but but I agree with you. I think we probably should. I think the outside view, especially from Democrats, um, in fact, I had a relative who just sent me a meme on Messenger the other day that uh, Republicans hate the poor, uh, libertarians hate the poor, and love to laugh at the poor. I'm like, well, that's just mean. What, I, it's I just not true. I, lo- I love the poor. Yeah. I want to help them. I was but, poor. <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, but... but I think that libertarians have a messaging problem in that, first of all, there's this this view of us that's not true, but also we don't do ourselves favors when we go around saying, uh, you know what, we want to leave you alone, and we just want to let you live your life by yourself. People get scared. A lot of people don't want to be left alone. They're worried. They're worried if, what happens if I lose my job? You know, they're worried that they lose the safety net. They need to understand that in a more free society, in a more libertarian society where we had more charity and we had, it was easier to start a business. You didn't have all these different regulations. You didn't have uh, licensing laws, per, you know, operational uh, licensing pre- preventing you from starting a business. Um, it would be a lot easier to do stuff like that. So it would be a better safety net if we had more freedom. So how do we incorporate a message like that into a libertarian platform? Well, there's only one way to build a pyramid for, and it's from the bottom up, mm-hmm. right? If we're going to live in a society the way we live, and there's going to be winners and losers, but you got to start at the bottom. And the bottom is the individual. The most oppressed group in this nation is the group of individuals. We don't allow the individual to thrive. We, 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 we allow the individual to believe that they're dependent on others to survive. You're not. So what we need to do is remove those barriers to the marketplace, remove the occupational licensing laws. They literally designed barber licensory to prevent freed slaves from becoming barbers because it prevent it was it was hurting the Germans who were already established barbers. Wow. That that's that's why you have barber licensing. I did not know that. Wow. That's why you have barber licensing. It was literally put in place to prevent a group of people from be, from entering the marketplace and gaining wealth. It was a protectionist policy. We need to get away from protectionism for all individuals and just allow people to thrive and survive. Why Why do you need 1,500 hours of training to be a hair braider in New Jersey? Why? Why? I would let my, I would, if I had long hair, I would let my kid's sister braid my hair. And it, 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 there's no danger. What? They got to teach them how to wash their hands? Okay. Maybe a 10 hour course. I don't know if we need 1,500 hours in a multi-thousand dollar license. Why do they need more training than cops? Yeah, that's a good right? way to put it. That's a good message right there. Why? Why do they need more training cops message. when they're just braiding hair? But that's the point. People don't – what happens is when you have the conversation with libertarianism, people, all they think of is Social Security is going to go away. Um, welfare is going to go away. All right, no, time out. It doesn't – it's not going to go away. It's going to get moved. Mm-hmm. It's going to move from the public sector 
and it's going to go into the private sector. Now, private doesn't mean that only those people get it. It's still going to be a public good because they're going to, the reason those people exist, they're going to give that money out. I want you to think of a bureaucrat. The guy in Trenton, and I use New Jersey, I'm sorry, or the guy in D.C. We'll say that the guy or gal in yeah, D.C. You're, you're running in Jersey. Use yeah. the examples you know. The man or woman in D.C. or Trenton that's doing your paperwork. Are they doing it because they want to and that's what they believe in and they truly care about others? Or are they doing it because it's a job with good benefits and paid time off? It's a job. Right. Now, let's put it in the private sector. It's not going to pay as well. We all know that. Mm -hmm. Maybe instead of a $60,000 job or a $40,000 job, it's a $30,000 or $25,000 job. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's a minimum wage. Who knows? But you know what? The guy that does that job or the woman that does that job there's only one reason they do it. My wife used to work in a, for a, was a social worker for a little while where she would help out with the, uh, the mentally handicapped and help place them in places mm-hmm. in town and get them around and get them to all their appointments. She didn't do it because it was a good job. The job paid terrible. It paid just as much as her nurse's assistant's job. You know why she did it? Because she had just gotten her psychology degree and she cared and she wanted to take care of people in, so- in society. I'll put my bottom dollar that when my wife was doing her paperwork and trying to help people, she was looking for more loopholes and trying to figure out better ways to take care of that person than the bureaucrat punching paperwork saying, denied, good, denied, good. Because all they're really, you know, listen, and I'm just, and don't get me wrong, I'm going to get misquoted and somebody's going to say how horrible of a human I am. I understand that there's probably most likely a good chunk of people who work in government that do it because they care. I understand that. But what's the reality? The reality is there's plenty of people that just treat it like a jobs program. The federal government and the state governments should not be jobs programs. These, these programs need to be designed by people who care about it, people who are passionate about it, people who have that philanthropic core inside of them. And there's plenty of them out there. We give billions and billions and billions of dollars to charity every year while the government is siphoning $1.7 trillion from us. And we're still give billions and billions of dollars. Most away. charitable country in the world. Could you more. imagine how much money? I promise you, I, I, I have so much faith in humanity, despite everything that we see going around us, that that $1.7 trillion, a lot of it would probably still, a, a trillion of it would probably still get donated and chat to people who need, in need. And guess what? The 700, the 700 billion out of that 1.7 trillion, that's just the military money that we're going to print anyway. Okay. So what are we worried about? Like, it's not, we're going to, nobody's going to not take care of their neighbor. Mm -hmm. They're just not going to do it. Okay. And there's organizations everywhere that want to help. How about the churches that try to feed people and then the government pours bleach on the food? Because they don't have the permits. Because they don't have permits because of bureaucracy. You know where that doesn't exist? If we just get the government the hell out of the way. Mm Mm-hmm. All right. So it's hard to have the conversation. A lot of times with people who don't, who aren't of the same mindset, we have to find a a place where we do agree. It's like when I walked into that tent, that Democrat tent, you have to just be like, all right, so let's talk about scenario A. What do you think about scenario A? And they break it down. All right, cool. Mm -hmm. What if we did it this way? Bang, 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 bang. Well, that would probably work. Okay. Now apply that here. Oh, okay. All right. Apply that here. Oh, okay. You see where I'm going? Now, the problem, mm-hmm. the one problem we do have is, and I forgot who said it to me. Um, oh, Dan Berman said it to me when I was talking to him on, on his show. It, uh, Dan Berman's awesome. He, he, it's, it's, like, it's like a net of knots, right? And once you pull one of them, mm-hmm. it starts to lose its integrity. And the problem you have is if you, if you pull just one and that's dependent on the others, well, now everything over here falls apart. So when people pose me with the, would you just push the button? Yeah, because I think it'd be easier to tie the net back together than it would be to try and find a way to catch everything that's falling from the net. That's kind of similar to what we talk about in this show, um, or I, I should say at Lions of Liberty, we've talked about, like, it's sort of like a game of Jenga. Yes. And uh, so look at uh, what, what are the ways, what pieces can you take out that are going to, you know, make the world better, make this country better, and the same time, the structure is not going to fall down. Correct. Because the drug war, I mean, that's one. We, we, could, we could pull out tomorrow Easily and the drug war. And sure, people who are, you know, your police officers, you might lose some jobs there, lose some jobs in prisons. Um, end of the day, society is just going to be a lot better very quickly. Correct. And safer, too. A lot of people don't think about it that way. Less, less overdoses. There's a huge epidemic going on, increasing right now because of COVID. The op- opiate epidemic 
never really went it went away, but it's it's escalating now again because of depression and you know people just trying to cope with what's going on. So they're trying to cope with it. They're not trying to kill themselves. They're not trying to they're not trying to commit suicide. Trying they to go it. out, they get their drugs, it's laced with something, they don't know what's in it, and they're dead. They say I heard someone along the lines of overdoses are up. I think I'm, I'm I I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I read they're up around like forty percent. Wow, which is freaking insane, man. Yeah. And I mean, I for example, my my town posts um my town posts a blotter every week about like incidents that happened over the weekend and what co- police were called to. There was two crisis interventions. One, they flat out said the dude was distraught over losing his business and was mm. and, and was threatening to kill himself. Like, like this isn't like that's that's what's that. I mean, now if the drug war didn't exist and these people were looking for an escape, let's just look at alcohol. Mm. Alcohol sales are through the roof right now. Why? Mm. People are trying to numb their feelings. And and then what did the government do? They did the most libertarian thing ever. They reduced regulation to allow people to pick up to-go alcohol from the restaurants. Think about that. Think about that. They understood that people needed that well-controlled vice that the market was able to regulate and just allowed them to have it. Mm -hmm. So if the market could regulate safety, which it can't do when it's a black market, and you had doctors, and you had nurses, and you had pharmaceutical experts creating these drugs with the proper dosages, and people had safe places to go to use them. They would just go get numb for half an hour, and then they'd go home. And they wouldn't have the risk of fentanyl being laced. They wouldn't have the risk of some kind of crazy thing being laced in whatever they decided to eat. Like it's, it, they don't, they're, they're, That risk is gone because it's not the black market guy who's trying to water down his shit it's it's a doctor or it's a nurse or it's a businessman who man if somebody freaking dies in my store i'm screwed mm-hmm. i'm going yeah, to jail for insurance life. yeah you got to pay for insurance you got to have you insurance you got to be inspected you know if it's not the state some private organization is going to be like hey we recommend going here because they have the safest and cleanest yeah. and best facility out there you know so i mean yeah dec- just that alone just ending the drug war would be the perfect block to take from your jenga tower because everyone would realize, oh, okay, I get it. Um, you know, and there, we can have that same conversation about so many different things. And you and I can have it without any rebuttal because, well, you and I both believe it. <laughs> yeah, so I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time here. I think we're coming up on an hour, but uh, enjoying the conversation. Let's talk about a current event here. Let's talk about what's going on in Portland. Oh, God. And I kind of want to frame it in that there's, you know, I've seen some libertarian reaction to it. I'm not going to name any names, but people listening probably know who I'm talking about. I've seen some prominent libertarians. Well, I'll just say it. Eric July, who I respect greatly, he's one of the the legends in the movement, someone that I really look up to in his messaging and the way that he reaches people. And I'm going to paraphrase him here. I'll probably misquote him, so don't kill me. But he said something to the effect of, the people are being snatched off the street in uh, in Oregon. Protesters, Antifa, communists, essentially. Um, since they probably wouldn't, um, you know, defend us if it was happening to us. If libertarians are being snatched off the street, if liberty lovers are being snatched up, or, or you know, p- people at pro gun rallies, which would never happen because it's a you'd be armed at a, at a, at a gun rally. But. Uh, would would they stand up for us? I don't know. So should we stand up for them? I think Eric. I think I, I could have misinterpreted, but I thought he was saying that he's you know he's not standing up for them because they won't stand up for our rights. What's your view on that on that dynamic there? I mean, should you stand up for for someone's rights who would throw you in a cage for your own beliefs? I don't want to stand up for the individuals. Mm-hmm. I want to stand up for the the principle, and and I think that's where a lot of people are misunderstanding where some people from that wing of libertarianism are coming from. It's not a matter of, I cannot feel bad. You cannot feel bad for the, the bad actors that are getting snatched up yet still understand that if we, if, if I had my way, that wouldn't be possible. Okay. There are certain people that are, listen, man, as far as I'm concerned, a Marxist is just as bad as a Nazi. Okay, I have mm-hmm. no difference in my mind between the two of them. Both of them want to 
the Marxists want to throw you in the gulag and the Nazis want to throw you in the concentration camp. I get it. But at the end of the day, the system we have doesn't allow for secret police. And my principle is it can't happen. Mm-hmm. There's a process with which we have to follow. There's a Fifth Amendment. I don't care that the police in Portland aren't doing their thing. You want to send in federal agents? Fourth, That's cool. Fourth, fourth uh, Amendment. I think you meant to say Fourth Amendment. Did I say Fifth? Probably yeah. Fourth. I got you. <laughs> Actually, both of them kind of, both of them sort of apply in this. Yeah, scenario. I guess you're right. Yeah, I wasn't thinking. Yeah. I mean, they both kind of apply, right? Because you, you have a right to yeah. due process and you need to have more. You know what I mean? Like, there's true, true, true. They, they both kind of apply in this scenario, both the Fourth and the Fifth Amendment. And it's, it's a matter of like, all right, I get it, but here's the deal. Announce yourself. You know, you, you are who you are. Tell them why they're being arrested. None of this secrecy nonsense. None of this man in the middle of the night. Like, listen, that's straight up what the KGB and the SS did. They found mm-hmm. political. All right, cool. They damaged the federal building. Oh, no. I understand it's property damage. I'm with it. I understand. You don't need to snatch them up in the middle of the night in an unmarked car with just the word police on your chest. It doesn't work that way. You might as well have the SS or, or the KGB on your chest. I'm with it. Do I feel bad for the individual actors, the Marxists? I don't know if I do, man, because they brought it upon themselves. This is literally the system they want. They want a government so powerful that it can literally cancel anybody at any time. So if the shoe was on the other yeah. foot, they would completely be okay with libertarians getting snatched off the street. They right. wouldn't, if they were the ones doing the snatching, if they yeah, were the they ones would, doing yeah. the snatching, they would have no problem with it. And I think mm-hmm. that's where these guys are coming from. I haven't spoken to any of them personally. Mm-hmm. I would like to speak to some of them personally so I can better understand and better articulate the position. Yeah. But I don't believe it's a matter of, oh, no, we should be allowed to have secret police and people should be allowed. I don't think yeah. that's where they're coming from. I think yeah. what they're saying is, listen, I just don't feel bad for that specific person. Okay? and. Mm-hmm. Is it kind of a messed up thing to say? Absolutely. Uh, But you know what? It's his right to say it. But I know that if he was allowed to write policy and he was allowed to be the one in position, I'm confident that every libertarian would turn around and say, no, we can't have secret police. We can't have secret police. And then again, in a libertarian society, you wouldn't need the secret police because people would be able to defend their property themselves. People would be able to, you know, you wouldn't, people wouldn't be so brazenly out in the open demolishing things if there was consequence from their neighbors for it, you know, but we, mm-hmm. we have this strong, powerful, centralized government that nobody fears, which they shouldn't. But at the same token, there is zero, there's, there's zero risk mitigation, right? Or risk. Mm-hmm. There's zero risk. It's all been mitigated out. Right? So there's no risk for them to behave the way they're behaving because we don't have a society that, that respects private property. We don't have a society that allows people to arm and defend themselves. And listen, this isn't happening in, in gun-strong neighborhoods. Right. This isn't happening in neighborhoods where people believe in self-defense. This isn't happening in, in rural areas. This is happening where people aren't allowed to be armed. This is happening where businesses aren't allowed to defend themselves. This is happening where we don't have castle doctrine. You know, so in a, in a libertarian society, this wouldn't be an issue. Mm-hmm. But it is an issue. We can't have secret police. We should never have secret police. And if you think we should have secret police, you clearly weren't paying attention when you studied the, the founding fathers. And you're just because you're, if you're okay with secret police, you are just so brazenly upset with the people that you, you say are your enemy, that are acting like your enemy, that you're allowing your principles to be compromised. And if I'm going to be a, a member of the party of principle, and I'll fight with people on the left side of the Libertarian Party over this, and I'll fight with people on the right side of the Libertarian Party over this, I am not going to compromise my principles because it helps me feel better about myself. I don't like the Marxists. I don't feel bad for them getting snatched up, but they shouldn't be allowed to get snatched up. It shouldn't happen. They should get arrested. Yeah, I guess, I guess uh, I think I I have the same view and it's probably, I mean, I probably did misquote what, what Eric said, but I don't um, know. I I don't know if he did. I think I I could be, I could be completely taking him wrong. I don't know. I I think, I think, I think his view is the same as yours basically. And I generally, I think I'm in the same boat. Um, I don't feel bad. I don't feel feel bad for someone that, that is that, that first of all would do the same thing to other free individuals 
um, if they had that power, which I think a lot of these people would. I guess I would feel bad for anybody who's getting sucked up into this, who's sort of on the fringes, right? And you know, they're just sort of following along. And which next is thing why they know, it shouldn't exist know. because that's bound it, to happen. Exactly, yeah. it's bound to happen at somebody on the fringes who really isn't that bad of an actor who just got sucked into the moment. You know, it's, I'm it's, sure it's happening. It's definitely happening. You know, we don't know. You don't see these videos. We don't know what's going on. But guess what? There's a process, man. If you know who this person is, if you know so well who this person is, that when they're wearing a mask and they're all tight, they're all, they're all camouflaged up or whatever it is in the middle of the night, you can find them and go arrest them. Then you know where they live. You can come to their door. You can mm-hmm. serve them with a warrant and arrest them like anybody else. You can read them their rights. You can make sure they get a defense lawyer. You can make that's the way it needs to happen. Yeah. Need to and be- for the love of God, do not do a no knock raid. No, no knock raids. No knock raids. Yeah. Ban them all. You come to the door. You knock on the door. You present yourself. You announce yourself. You serve mm-hmm. the warrant. You arrest the person. If things go from there, they go from there. But that's the way you start the process because that's the way it's written and that's the way the founders wanted it. Because, man, in the 1700s, they were just snatching dudes up, snatching them up, and it didn't matter. And they Mm -hmm. disappeared. Now, listen, I hope to God these people don't just disappear, right? I hope they reappear. I hope everyone knows where they are. I pray to God that everybody knows what they're being what they're being charged with, why they're being charged. I hope they get to sit in front of a, a jury of their peers. You know, I, I pray to God that all of that other stuff happens, right? But you don't know. Like, it just, it's just not right. It, mm-hmm. It's just wrong on so many levels to just, like, it's literally the same exact thing that the Chinese are doing in Hong Kong. They have a, they have, it is? it's the yeah. same exact thing the Chinese are doing in Hong Kong. They're snatching up, opposition and guess what the opposition over there they're violent and destroying things too but every single libertarian will speak out against what the chinese government is doing to the Mm pro-capitalists who are destroying property and burning things and and fighting with the police the same way the marxists are over here how many times have you seen things burning in hong kong regularly well, yeah, the, uh, recently? Not, re- not recently, it, but yeah. when it really... when it when oh, they all, had that huge, yeah, the huge... It uh, was bad, man, yeah, for like two, three months, right before yeah. the whole COVID thing happened. It was bad. There was, there was, mm-hmm. They were hauling people up in buildings. There was fires. There was things getting torn down the street. They were blocking highways. There was police mm-hmm. barriers. It was nasty. There was violence, rubber bullets, gas, all of that. The same exact response we're giving. And that's the same thing that everybody spoke out against with hashtag free Hong Kong. And why isn't the NBA speaking about, about Hong Kong? Mm-hmm. How come these guys aren't doing anything about Hong Kong? I got Chris Smith in New Jersey still talking about the people in Hong Kong. Oh, our government's doing the exact same thing right now. Yeah. Just the people with the opposite ideological position. I would love to trade our socialists for their for their capitalists and just say, hey, listen, you guys, why don't you guys go live over in Hong Kong and let the Chinese do what they want? We'll take all the pro democracy, you know, capitalists from Hong Kong and bring them here to America. We'll just trade, and everyone will be happy, sure. right? Everybody but, be happy, right? But it's no different. I, I don't see a difference in my world. It's the same. You know that meme with uh, what's her name from from. Um, from the office and they show two oh, pictures. Pam, Pam from the office. Pam yeah. from the office says, what is the difference between these two pictures? And at the bottom she goes, yeah. they're the same picture. If you held Hong Kong protesters getting dragged away by secret police up with the American protesters being dragged away by the secret police and you asked me that question, I would say it's the same picture. Somebody make that meme if it's not made yet. Yeah, make it. Make it. And then just give <laughs> credit to Mike Rufo for Congress. There you go. www.runrufo, R-U-F-O, 2020.com backslash donate and help me spread message of liberty all throughout New Jersey and have the most successful third party campaign in the history of New Jersey congressional politics. There it is. Mike Rufo for Congress. Check out his website, donate. Um, If you live in New Jersey, uh, try to get involved, help him out. Absolutely. Hit me up. Send me an email. I'll talk to you. And thank you for coming on the show, man. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, John. Thanks for the time, man. I appreciate the platform. You're the best. Um, Shout out to everybody in New Jersey, Dan Krause, uh, Amy, Everyone that's been helping me out, you guys are awesome. Shout out to the, the Mises Caucus for all the great work we did at the convention. Uh, we didn't even get to touch on that today, but whatever, no big deal. Um, everybody that's been helping me out, everyone that's been a supporter, you guys are awesome. If you're listening, I appreciate you, and uh, I really hope I can make everybody proud and, and, and put New Jersey back on the map as a crossroads of liberty. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. 
Thank you for listening to today's show, another great episode of Felony Friday. As you know, Felony Friday is one of three shows we have here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, we kick off every single week with our Monday show hosted by Mark Clare. It's our longest running program, our flagship program, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. Every Wednesday, we have Electric Liberty Land hosted by Brian McWilliams. It's your weekly shot of culture, comedy, liberty, swearing, and just just good fun. Check that out. You can get all three shows by subscribing for the great price of $0 per month. You get everything that we have here. So please check everything out. And uh, if you like it all, please think about, consider supporting what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty. A great way to do that is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash Liberty. Another great way of doing that is by uh, following, liking, sharing our stuff on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Liberty. On Instagram and Twitter, we are at Lions of Liberty. And the discussion forum where all the greatest and brightest minds go to to talk about politics, liberty, everything that's happening in the world today, current events, the Lions of Liberty Forum on Facebook, which you can find by typing Lions of Liberty Forum in the search bar at the top of Facebook, clicking search, comes up, say you want to join it, answer a question, bam, you're in, and the rest is just going to be a great journey for you. So check that out. That's all I have for today. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up in the fires of Liberty Burning.